Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast, brought to you by Creative Live, the world's best online classroom for creative professionals with classes on songwriting, engineering, mixing, and mastering. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is also brought to you by Savior Custom Drums, quality crafted drums, handmade in Denver, Colorado. And now your hosts, Joey Sturges, Joel Wanasek, and Al Levy. Hey guys, how you doing? Good. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Corniff. Welcome, sir. What's happening? You know, we're just hanging out, talking about you. It's not awkward at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, so thanks for getting up early, and uh, I don't even know what coast you're on. So for some reason, I thought you were on the West Coast, and was like, is he really getting up this early to talk to us? But then something told me you might be on the East Coast with me. Yes, yes. I'm, on, I'm, I'm in New York. Okay. All right. So, well, thanks for spending your mid-morning with us. <laughs> no problem. Thanks for having me. Of course. Yeah, our pleasure. We want to talk about all kinds of different things, but uh, first burning question I have in my mind for you is, um, you know, you've been in the game for quite a while and have worked with quite a few different artists, and does the workflow or experience with the artists, do you find that that changes at all? now versus say 10 years ago it's so like i know i know some of the artists that you've worked with now i've worked with some of them too so i know how they are so i'm wondering 10 years ago did people also suck at music like is it just <laughs> <laughs> and i'm talking about bands that i've worked with so i know how it is like you can't you can't keep this one for me so i just want i just want to know like Back in the day where it was a lot more analog heavy, uh, by not by choice, but by you had nothing else. Back in those days, did bands not know how to play their fucking instruments either? Like, Well, <laughs> this is like an ongoing quest of finding out the truth of what actually existed and what actually happened years and years and years ago compared to what we do today. I think that the knowledge of music definitely decreased as far as music education and stuff like that. You know... Years and years ago, there's a piano in every home. Everyone knew what a chord was, and now it's not the case. But that's not to say that bands 40 years ago and 50 years ago didn't suck either. You know, reading through the book of the, about the Beatles, you know, there are plenty of passages in there when I said the Beatles did suck. And, there was, you know, sometimes they, they weren't amazing. So, you know, that existed then and it exists now. I mean, the people can probably say the same thing about the Rolling Stones or, you know, whatever rock group came out that was completely different than what they heard at the time. So they probably sucked then, they suck now. I feel like music is the one profession where you can know like absolutely nothing about it and be an absolute success story. <laughs> well, it's entertainment. Yeah, if you're like a guitar player and you just like, oh yeah, I just put my fingers here and I Too do complex. this and like it makes this sound. Joey, it's just zero. All you got to know is zero and one now. Open, bro. That's it. There's been some stories in acting that have been like that where dude never, you know, went to any academies for acting and just decided to, at the age of 40, get involved in some community play and just kicked fucking ass somehow. And uh, some Hollywood director heard about it. And next thing you know, he's Spider-Man or something. I mean, that kind of stuff happens. It's rare, but... It absolutely happens. Yeah, in the arts, it is possible. I guess because um, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how you're educated. Your output is the only thing that matters. You know... I will agree with you because I guess I was brought up in the 80s and 90s. 
Those were my formative years. And I had music pounded into my skull educationally. Like, God, I've had so much music education, and I'm glad I did, but holy shit. And the kids that I record don't have any of that. Like, to them, learning modes is like some, I don't know, it's like they came across the Holy Grail or something. It's like chemistry or something. Yeah, whereas some earlier generations, this was pretty normal. You know what's interesting how, I don't know if any of you guys are familiar with the expression about Sweden, how there's something in the water in Sweden because their musicians are always so goddamn good. Oh, yeah, I've heard that, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's just because their education system, also, they have music from a very early age. So you think that just the artists from before were better educated musically? I think at a certain point they were. And uh, not to say that people aren't educated now, but... Maybe it's just the type of music that requires less education to get into. You know, now we're, they're relying on their natural senses of hearing and, and just sort of imitating and making something their own. Do you think that creates more interesting music, though? Or do you think that it's just <clears throat> whatever? That depends, because music is not always for musically trained people. Like, I'm usually gravitated towards music that is from educated people. I hear chord progressions and modes and things that I normally wouldn't in a lot of other music. But at the same time, you give that to the average person, and uh, they don't understand it. It's like way over their head. Yeah, totally. So you have bands, bands, and then you have, you know, average people's bands. I had an interesting experience that I can relate to that when I was in a metal band playing guitar. So I was a shred guitar player who practiced a lot. And, you know, you would go up and we play a gig and all these crazy sweeps and speed picking, you know, it's stuff that took years of practice to be able to pull off cleanly and articulate. And, you know, like two people would come up to you and be like, yeah, dude, you're pretty good. But if I found it was flat, blah, blah, blah. And then I joined a rock band and kind of forgot how to play guitar from a you know, from a shredder sense and uh, just laid up my 15 pull off 12 licks. And then everybody'd be like, oh my God, dude, you were so fucking sick. And you're like, dude, that was like me <laughs> not even trying. And it was kind of an interesting <laughs> reality check as a guitar player. Cause you're like, man, I worked so hard for so many years to get good and no one gives a shit. <laughs> so Yeah. But I got to say that right, music yep. education doesn't necessarily have to mean super shred or super theory. Like the Beatles, for instance, were a cover band for five years, and they played m- multiple sets oh, a night, totally. and they played everybody's music. And I read in Paul McCartney's book that one of the ways that, I guess one of their mentalities surrounding writing music was, well, they would lift a bass line from one song and a chord progression from another, and fuck it, they could do it better than the original artist anyways. And that's exactly what they were thinking. But they got mm-hmm. their musical education through learning a bunch of music. So even if they didn't go to school, even if they weren't exactly brought up with it, they still learned it at some point. And in some ways, I feel like that's what's missing nowadays. And even, like, take a band like Muse, for instance, who's top of the rock world and also you know, legitimately selling out stadiums and are one of the few remaining true rock star bands. You know, in Europe, they will do Wembley two nights in a row. Like, they go on stadium tours here, fly in a private jet, like, rock stars. And uh, those guys are musically pro-fucking-ficient and very, very educated. So I just think that just because some guys got lazy doesn't mean that everybody got lazy and that it does pay to learn your craft 
get good at what you do. There's a really interesting film made by Kirby Ferguson that I think everyone should watch. It's called Everything is a Remix. And the film is just about the fact that like, if you go back in time and look at you know, everything that's been done in media between, you know, the start of it and now it's just, you know, it's impossible to make something new. Like you're just being inspired by something that you really like and uh, regurgitating your own version of it with your own little twist. I just wanted to mention that because it's a really good, it's really interesting film. Well, you know, I guess given with the, (laughs) given the tools you have in front of you, I guess that that brings me to the question of the tools. Like, Dan, do you think that the way, or let me ask you this, has the way that you physically record people changed a lot between, say, 10 years ago and now? Because I know you're a very analog heavy guy. Has your workflow changed much? Yeah, the workflow is still the same. You know, for me, nothing can replace proper engineering techniques. So I'm never going to give up a console and do thing, everything in the box. I'm, you know, I'm never going to get up mic pre's and shit and plug right into an interface. Like that's, that's just not something I do. So the work, the workflow for me still stays the same. And I think it helps. I think that musically things may feel better. They feel analog, you know, something real, something that people can relate to. How long have you actually been doing the production process or well, just how long have you been doing this? And also for people who aren't um, 100% familiar with how you do stuff. Uh, what is your process? Well, I mean, I started recording bands when I was about probably 13 or so, 13 or 14. I got interested in music very young. You know, as soon as your your family life goes to shit, your parents are getting divorced. The first thing you do <laughs> is you find fucking metal and you enjoy it. And, uh, you know, and then you start a band and you get a fucking drum set. And, uh, you know, so I've been doing this for a while. And I, I realized also at a, at a young age that, I could make, I had a lot more chances of making uh, a living by working on the other side of the glass, for sure. You know, when you're a band, you have one chance every two years to make a statement. And, uh, you know, doing what we do, you have, you know, six or seven albums in a year that you can do that with. So that, you know, I gravitated towards that pretty early. And then, uh, I mean, as far as the process goes, it's, I'd have to say the only thing that really has changed is that in pre-production nobody sits around as a band anymore and and jams out songs. You know, back in the day, we would sit in the room, we would play, you'd work out parts, you'd communicate as people. And now, you know, these days you have two guys with a laptop, they write the parts, they program everything and say, okay, here's how our song goes, learn it. Which is, (laughs) you know, some ways is cool, some ways is not, but that's, you know, that's what people are doing today. But, you know, I, I still try to keep a lot of that together, keep bands as a band trying to capture the, the best that, that they can do. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot of editing and, and special effects and stuff that happen, but at the same time, you know, if you start with a better source, that's where it all begins. Yeah, you can't beat a better source. Now, Definitely. are you recording through a console, like just on, like into Pro Tools or something? Or, well, you're a Cubase guy, right? Yeah, I use Cubase. Hell yeah, yep. high five. I have. <laughs> it's, it's the best out there. I don't, I don't know why else... Why people would use anything else? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, we're the same way, man. We're going around. We're like, why? Why do you use anything other than Cubase? <laughs> I only used it because of the studio I was working at, but I used to use Cubase, and I love yeah, Cubase. No, it's cool. You know, back then you had to be compatible, and a lot of places now you really don't have to be. You can kind of do your own thing as long as you send off a yeah a master that someone accepts. Then fuck welcome it. to yeah. the future. <laughs> <laughs> the future is now. So, 
So, anyways, back to your process. So you go for, you go into pro. Sorry, into Cubase from the console. Correct. Yeah. So I still have a, an SSL console, tons of mics, uh, a decent sized live room. So I'll track through the console, outboard mic pre's into Cubase, and then it comes back out on the console. So I have 48 outputs from my computer. They feed 48 channels on my console, and then I mix through that and. Uh, you know, keep it all analog like that. So you're actually using Cubase as a playback machine? Correct. It's what? like a glorified tape machine that I can edit and add some special effects with. Wow, that is amazing. So your mixes are coming through your board and then you're printing that to like a two bus or maybe some stems or something? That's exactly what I do. Yep. So it goes out of the console and then record it right back into the session stereo tracks. That's awesome. So Dan, I hear you, since you're a pretty big analog guy, I mix hybrid and I'm really, really kind of a gear nerd myself. And I know Joey's like hardcore Mm -hmm. ITB and AL's kind of somewhere in the middle, but I'm definitely the analog guy. I mean, I've got some cool gear like Burl converters and a Shadow Hills mastering comp and some fun toys like that. Nice. So I hear you make your own gear and I got into DIY for like a little bit, but I never actually started building one. So what are you making, and what are you, hmm. you going to make me? Is the real question. Yeah, same here. <laughs> Give me some custom shit. Let's go. Well, I remember talking about this with you a few months ago. I won't. Inquiring mm-hmm. minds want to know. Well, I mean, Dio, it all started back when I was in college, and I was completely broke, and I always wanted you know great gear, and I just couldn't afford it. I had no money, absolutely no money. So I ran across a book that basically detailed, it was like one of the first DIY books that detailed how to build an LA2, which I bought. It was like an ebook or something, bought it, never built the compressor. And, and, you know, it was just a lot of money still to do that kind of stuff. So I started with guitar pedals and worked my way up from there. And it took me a few years of just learning what electronics are, you know, what's actually happening under the hood, what the components do. And once you sort of figure that out and get your feet wet with a couple small projects that you build and that never work, <laughs> you know, they just kind of sit on the shop bench for a little while, uh, you know, eventually something works and it all clicks and it comes together. Uh, so these days I'm building uh, a lot of character pieces, a lot of things that you can't get. You know, my whole goal was to have a studio completely built with custom gear from me that no one else could ever get. That's amazing. I respect that so much because I kind of I'm always looking for those weird, odd pieces that nobody has. And I'm like, I want that because, you know, if you want to get it, it's going to cost ten thousand dollars and only I have it. So fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you make your, It's an easy way to make your, your own sound because it's way harder to replicate something in analog, whereas somebody who's mixing straight ITB, you can literally just, oh, yeah, cool. They use this and this and this chain. So, you know, it's a lot easier to cop, especially when everybody's using the same 20 fucking plugins. So um, that's something I really do dig about analog is depending on the pieces you get, they all have certain character or not character, depending on what you want. And you can really kind of carve out your own sound. I know that's something Will Putney talks about a lot and he's really big into. Sure. Yeah. He's a big analog guy as well. I think it's a good thing to be like, I don't want to say bringing analog back because I mean, it's like, where did it ever really go? But at least in this genre, it's like there's certain guys, especially like you, Dan, who are just re- like introducing it into the music, into the productions. And it's really cool to see because I am usually um, quite surprised with how cool it sounds. It's like if you think about how the whole process works, especially with tape, right? you're like, oh, that doesn't really make sense. Like, how would you really embrace that right. as a, a, you know, as a, a efficient workflow? But to see it be successful and to hear it sound good um, is really refreshing. I really like what you're doing with this stuff right now. Oh, thank you. I got to say something, though. 
And I'd like to get some people's opinion on this. Is it just me or the whole DIY revolution that's going on right now in in analog gear? And I don't mean, let me first say, I don't mean people like you, Dan, at all in this statement. Like you are totally exempt from this statement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. well, look, people like you, people like Sam Pura with and Hairball Audio, exempt, okay? Like, the people that know what they're doing, absolutely exempt. But I feel like the DIY analog movement could be causing more harm than good in some ways. It, you know, will remain to be seen, but here's why. You have a bunch of people who don't know jack shit about making electronics. They never studied about how to plug in a soldering knife, even. Like, don't even know how to really do anything with that. And suddenly they're making equipment for really, really cheap. So they're going to be buying that stuff or making their own instead of going to the classics. And it's going to drive down the price of the amazing gear that we know and love. And um, that's going to put some people out of business who make really good stuff. And I feel like it's going to bring down the quality overall of the analog world. Just one possible prediction. Do you guys have any thoughts about that? It's definitely an interesting point of view. And I'm kind of curious of what that will do. Because, I mean, you can't really just get up and make exactly. a console, right? Exactly. This is not just so, something you learn in a weekend. Right. So it's like over time. Wait, it's not? Fuck, come on. (laughs) (laughs) I think over time, like that's definitely going to be a big problem. But the other problem you have now is that everyone has a computer in their pocket and that computer is becoming more and more powerful and it can do more things. And uh, just the other night I had someone here, they were showing me this little thing that they bought at Guitar Center. I never heard of it. It's made by Line 6. It's like this little... The thing itself is an actual microphone, but it has an interface built into it, but it also has a DI built into it. So it's like a literally the epiphany of um, bedroom producer recording studio in your pocket. And you hook this thing up to your iPhone, and you can literally sing right into it. You can record stereo sounds. It has a stereo mic. You can record your guitar parts. And like... With just two objects that are the size of things that fit in your pocket, you can literally record an entire album. I could see that being great for traveling. But Dan, how long did you say it took you to get good at building stuff? I mean, it, it takes years to, to figure out what's actually happening. Like anybody can plug in a soldering iron and, and assemble a piece. But, you know, a lot of these kids are not designing their own stuff yet. They don't really know what they're doing. But it could take you, you know, a couple months to at least put something together, assemble something. And by designing your own stuff, you're actually, you're talking about like, you know, getting a circuit board that just has like nothing on it and literally filling it with stuff and creating breadboarding processing. Well, it starts, it starts a little earlier than that. It starts with math. It starts with a schematic, taking a component and building a circuit around it, testing it in uh, computer software called LT Spice and sort of understanding how it works, what it will sound like, creating a circuit board, getting those manufactured, populating it, prototyping it, testing it. You know, it starts way, way earlier than that. Gotcha. So this is not something that you mess around with on the weekends. It's like something that you spend years <laughs> getting good at. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. It, it takes a while. So what are some of the coolest pieces that you've built to date, like secret weapons that we're all going to want to have, but only you have? Well, secret weapons, uh, I have a couple that I, that I really enjoy. One is from a company called ITA, and it's the LA-1 uh, limiter. And uh, that was made from a bunch of ex-RCA engineers. They designed that back in the uh, late 70s in some, some place in New Jersey. Probably only about 50 or 60 of them in existence. You know, that's one of my favorite pieces I built. Sounds, you know, it's very similar to uh, a state level in design. Oh, sweet. Right on. Yeah. Another one is uh, I made friends with an ex-Yuri engineer. And, um, you know, he was back at Universal Audio back in the day with Bill Putnam. And, and he had a, a couple designs that were designed for Universal Audio that they just never picked up. And he released the schematics online. Uh, so I was able to take those and build some mic pre's that were going to be Universal Audio product, never made it. And they sound unbelievable. They're unreal. And you're, are you using those in your productions today? I do use those, yes. That's awesome. So how can we go get yeah. about procuring a pair here? For <laughs> well, I think within the next year or so, I'm trying to design products that are new as far as my own products and not you know just cloning other stuff. But I will be starting a company, Cornef Audio, that's going to put these pieces out. And uh, I don't know, I have about five or six designs that are pretty unique, pretty awesome. Uh, and I just got to find time to do it. That's sweet. Finalize the process. Because I feel like so much analog gear is a rehash. Like there's so many different companies that make an 1176 clone and 1176 kicks ass and it's hard to make sound like shit. But I mean, come on, it's based on a 40 or 50 year old design. You know, I'm sure people have got some other ideas that would be really awesome to introduce into the market. So it's always cool. I always look for like gear that's like really fresh. For example, I wish I had like, um, this is just me regurgitating lust out loud of gear, but I wish I had like a summing bus with actual physical buses where I could do busing and routing on it or where that was controlled by like digital. So you could do like the, like sure. SSL has like the MDAX, for example, where you could do like a analog gain and you can do post fader or automation uh, controlled by your computer, yep. but it's all analog. I've got something kind of like that with the SSL uh, Sigma, but the problem with that thing is the uh, they made it internet-based, and it really kind of irritates the shit out of me because sometimes it just doesn't <laughs> sync up to your network, and then you're sitting there for two hours when you're in a hurry to get something recalled because you've got eight other things to do that day, and you're like, son of a bitch, and there's some stupid little right, internet right. problem. Wait, 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 wait. Explain this internet-based thing. Ethernet. Okay. Oh yeah. Sorry. 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 I was gonna say something. Something that a mix relies on being tied to the internet would be grounds for a bullet in your own that's, head. Yeah, that's scary. <laughs> like holy shit. They use a browser software instead of actually making a plugin, so it's a real pain in the ass because um, sometimes you know, for example, like I switched over internet service providers here at the studio because the one that we had was something ridiculous, like five up or one down, uh, five down, one up, or some ridiculously oh my God. dinosaur internet, which <laughs> isn't going to work. So when I switched it, now I can't get the thing to work uh, no matter what I do unless I do a direct connect to my computer. So every time I got to go around, I got to plug it in, I got to change all my internet settings, and I'm not a networking guy, so I, I'm a little bit slower on the the hilt there with that stuff. So it just, it, it's just too much of a hassle, but I wish I had like an all analog version of that or getting back to what I was saying, it'd be cool to have like an eight channel filter bank. That's just like analog filters, yep. just things like that, that I haven't seen come to market that I just wish they were there. Cause I would buy them immediately. Right. Yeah. It seems like all the plugins did all their emulations, right? Everyone has their 1176 version. And then all the DIY kits 
did the same thing. Now they all have their 1176s. And you're right. It's time for some new stuff. That would be nice. Do producers ever call you up and say, hey, man, I'm trying to do this. Would you be able to make it for me? Like, do you ever make stuff specifically for producers? Oh, all the time. Absolutely. That's cool. Tell us a a little bit about anything you've made, if you can. Well, a lot of people have different needs in their studios. You know, there's no real, like, common studio anymore. You know, everyone has their own personal setup. So some people need, like... uh, switching monitor boxes for their 5.1 surround mixes and shit like that. So I've made some custom switchers like that. You know, some guy who wanted like a a specific mic pre compressor EQ in a box, you know, I'll build stuff like that for them. There's one guy who wanted uh, like a super low noise power supply for his console because his, you know, his console had a bit of noise to it. So I took some time to design up something like that, build that for them. You know, most, most of the stuff that I do for other people are, you know, specific tasks like that. And, and then there's some people who are just like, hey, I want a, a, you know, a Neve clone or whatever, which, you know, which I would do for them as well. Let me ask you something, because uh, one thing that we cover a lot on this podcast is stuff like time management, workflow ideas, things, things of the sort that are very, very, maybe not the sexiest, but are very, very important if you want to survive in this world. And, you know, being that you are a full-time producer, engineer, mixer, who works with ton of bands, how do you find the time to also make amazing gear? Like, how do you work that out? How, how, do, you, how do you do it? Well, the first thing that happens is my wife completely hates me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> High five on that one, buddy. <laughs> so I, I spend very, very little time with my family, uh, a lot less time than I should be. And the other thing <laughs> is that sleep is an option for me. I will, I, you know, I'll come home at night and, you know, I get up early. My wife is a teacher, so I'm up early, six, seven in the morning and I start working and, and, uh, you know, I'll come home at, at sometimes one or two in the morning and, and instead of going to sleep, I'll stay up and design something or whatever, you know, whatever it may be. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have kids? I, I don't have kids yet. Not yet. Ah, well that helps. Cause I've got two and uh man, my wife is also a teacher and she's old school. So anytime I'm at home, she's like, turn off your cell phone or blah, blah, blah. You know, you can't work on weekends. And I'm like, uh, I'm going to go in at 4am and hammer out some mixes. Cause I'm behind. <laughs> so yeah, constantly. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's so hard, you know, this, this business survives. It's so much on communication and being in contact with people that, uh, you know, you don't realize how much you're on your phone, you know, sending emails to people or, or you know, waiting for mixed comments and stuff. And they just, they don't understand it. They don't get what we're doing. But at the same time, we probably look completely insane to them. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I, That's I can so relate to that. <laughs> I'll be like, I got to call Joey. I'll be on the phone for 10 minutes, two and a half hours later. What the hell could you possibly discuss for two and a half hours? I'm like about 27 right. different things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you like coffee? No, I, I despise it, but I do drink it because I need the caffeine. I mean, for a while, I was on a, a Red Bull kick about five or six a day. Uh, that was me. That was me. I, yeah. I can relate. Yep. And, uh, you know, so I, I went to the grocery store, checked my blood pressure. It was through the roof. Went to the doctors. He's like, dude, your vitamin B is a thousand percent above what it should be. What the <laughs> fuck are you doing? Shit. Like, just stop doing what you're doing. Uh, you know, so I came to the studio with like a heart monitor and all this stuff and it freaked out the band and I was like, all right, so maybe I should stop the Red Bulls. I'll, <laughs> I hope know. the death clause is in your producer contract. You know what? We, we didn't plan on talking about this, but being that I'm a victim of this as well and self-imposed, of course, the studio lifestyle 
can promote some very unhealthy stuff. And I've noticed that a lot of uh, a lot of great engineers die a lot younger than a lot of other professions. You know, you'll get guys dying in their 50s and 60s. And my theory is from being sedentary and from too much mm-hmm. caffeine or stimulants or whatever, eating like shit a lot. So once once you got that result back of your blood pressure through the roof, what did you change? Like no more Red Bull? Yeah, Red Bull's out the window. You know, any any sort of super caffeinated things are done. Change up my diet a bit. How so? Well, I would start my day, and this is just a problem that I have, is I have a terrible, terrible sweet tooth. So I'd start the day with a box of cookies Jesus. and a Red Bull Jesus. Like every day. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's what I would eat. Breakfast of champions. Yeah, exactly. There it is. <laughs> so, um, you know, so I swap that out for, I don't know, a sandwich instead, you know, shit like that. Like, I'm, I'm, it's just terrible. Everything, you know, just Red Bull, candy, cake, chocolate, <laughs> you know, anything. 7-Eleven was my friend. We get to be kids as long as possible in this profession, I feel like. Yeah, Absolutely. but it catches up. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It catches up. First time I met Joey, he was uh, he would drink probably in the realm of five to ten energy drinks a day. And he would sit there and chain smoke through a pack of cigarettes probably every two hours. Like literally he'd sit there banging his head to the music, <laughs> cigarette in his mouth, take a swig of the energy drink, put it back down, cigarette back in his mouth. And it was just like every 30 seconds that process would repeat. And it was just all day long, 16 hours a day. And we were, the, yep. me and the band were sitting there kind of laughing. We're like, this guy's going to fucking die when he's 30, man. <laughs> I can relate. He's still here. He's still here, thankfully. Oh. So. I made drastic changes. Once I got to a certain point where I, I realized, like, this is, you know, it, my hands were going numb from, you know, did, I was drinking so much energy drinks that my hands were going numb. And also... You know, I was coughing. I couldn't breathe from all the cigarettes. I smoked for like 13 years. I quit when I was 26. Started when I was 13. Wow. Yeah. And Congratulations. I, I, thank you. <laughs> and I think I'm just much better. I'm more productive. I'm a, I'm a better, I, I feel better. I'm happier, you know, now that I've quit all that. I, I do drink a lot of coffee, though. I'm still very dependent mm. on caffeine, but it's just... I think coffee is maybe safer delivery of caffeine than than something like NOS or yeah, it is. <laughs> right. It definitely is. Yeah, I've I've yeah. started juicing at least once or twice a day to offset the years of damage because the studio I was working at got a Red Bull and a Monster endorsement, and oh man, that was mm-hmm. bad. That was just like you, like ten yeah. bottles of that shit a day. And, uh, <laughs> and you don't, you end up not sleeping for days and days and days and just like, it just ruins your life. How am I the only healthy person on this podcast? Like I'm, I eat all organic. Uh, yeah. I go to bed at the same time every night. I'm like fanatic about that. I mean, even I still passed a kidney stone a month ago cause I don't drink enough water and I eat too much fucking spinach and shit like that. Were you so. always like that? And were you brought <laughs> wow. up like that? Well, um, when I was, I grew up on caffeine and Twinkies and shit like that until I was about 18. And I was always like the really skinny kids. When I got to college, I started working out a lot and then I started eating a lot healthier. So I dropped soda and juice and all that crap and started just drinking water and, um, trying to eat healthier. And then 
You're just a fucking winner, all right? You're just a fucking winner. The rest of us have to struggle with this shit. My wife, when I got married, my wife got a job interpreting for cancer patients at a hospital because she's from Soviet Russia. And in Russia, uh, she had an interpreter's job. And after five years of working in the cancer ER and all that stuff, she's just like, you know, ladies 98, she survived cancer. She'd be like, what's your secret? So she would come home with all these horror stories and all these wisdoms from people who were on their deathbed. And it's like, all right, so, so, I don't know. She just scared the shit out of me. That and my grandparents, they don't take care of themselves. My parents, like literally no one in my family cares. And my wife and I are like just absolute health fanatics. So we just got really into it. And um, <laughs> it's it's a lifestyle change. It's great. You know, when you go to bed every night, you wake up, you're ready to go. And, right. uh, you, you know, if when you're not eating McDonald's, you, <laughs> you feel better. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, I got to say that in my younger years, like especially when I was doing the band thing, you know, I would have no problem staying up for three days in a row on Adderall and weed and just write music and just just go <laughs> for it. Just write and write and fuck it. Do it. Like, make this great. And months would go by like that, like in a fucking red light room, cloud of amazing weed, just, yeah, Adderall <laughs> everywhere. And I wrote a lot of cool shit that way, man. And then once I got the gig at Audio Hammer, that started to trail off a little bit because suddenly I had a house I had to, uh, you know, I had to support. Responsibility and is a bitch. Yeah, real, res yeah, it wasn't just a record label to answer to, it was a house payment. And also I was about the age of 30. And so then that whole thing that like, well, people start dropping dead eventually. Like you can't keep doing this. Like in your 20s, it's fine. But like at some point, if you keep this up, you will drop dead. <laughs> and so then there was the whole challenge of like, okay, the engineer's diet is awful mm -hmm. and so now we've been getting past that and joel i've been actually using you as my uh as my hero uh started juicing <laughs> started juicing getting up in the morning going to bed at night like things that normal functional people do see this is crazy this is what you're supposed to learn as a kid right but since my dad was a musician i never got any of this stuff this normal like get up and brush your teeth go to school like you know, eat normal amounts of food and like go to bed at night after you did your homework and then wake up the next day. None of that applied in my family. So I'm learning that stuff now and I'm using you as an example. So thank you. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> we just had a moment. Yeah, we did. <laughs> so well, look at it this way, better now than later. Because the thing is, when you're in your 20s, you never think about your health. You literally just take it for granted because you're like, 20, I'm invincible, fuck it. I can party for four days straight and it doesn't matter. And, you know, you may be a little hungover. Now, now when you're in your 30s, you try doing that and you're like, oh my God, oh, yeah. this sucks. I can only only imagine being in the 40s or 50s or 60s and going cool. hard. It, it, so Yeah, and so that reminds me, Dan, mm -hmm. do you have any of those funny posture chairs? No, I don't. I have like shitty like Office Depot chairs that I got for 50 bucks. <laughs> Doesn't that make your ass hurt? <laughs> yeah. It does. Absolutely. He's got a console and all this badass outboard, and he's got a fucking $50 chair. <laughs> That's weird. So here's, here's a question I wanted to ask you. So I was looking on your website, yeah. and I saw that you have the customary requirements for bands submitting to mix, which I think yes. everybody yep. who does mixing for money who takes clients via the internet, which is pretty much anybody who mixes in the modern age, everyone should do this. So take note, mixers who 
wannabe who are listening to this is you should always have a set of requirements uh-huh. for your clients, you know, that involve things such as everything should be in stems, bounce to zero, the bit rate, sample depth, all, all that important stuff. Um, you know, and you go on to say things like, if a session was recorded into Pro Tools, make sure all of the audio files and fades are accounted for on the copy you provide. An easy solution is to highlight all your audio regions and consolidate them. Cool. That's great information right. and all that. Like, yours is very well written. Now let me ask you something. How many people actually read this and follow <laughs> it? <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> um, it's surprisingly a lot of people are asking now. You know, it, it all starts from like, you know, one kid who just sends you a session and they're like, oh, what happened to that vocal? And you're like, what vocal? And they're like, oh, it was on this like playlist XXX5. And you're oh, like, what God. the fuck are you talking about? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so anytime someone inquires about a mix, I instantly or have my manager send them a link of the stuff, say, look, here's the format you need to be delivered in. Here are the guidelines or it's just going to be delayed or we won't be able to do it. There's a line I add at the end of mine that says, if you don't comply, there will be extra charges added to your bill. And ever since I put that in, I haven't had a single offender. If you don't (laughs) comply. That helps. (laughs) Of course, that makes you look like an asshole. And they're like, oh, this guy's all on his high horse. What the, who the fuck does he think he is? Well, how about you do your fucking job and give me the files correctly so I can do mine and make them sound good, (laughs) please. Thank you. Right, right. (laughs) Well, I was just going to say one thing that I feel like I need to start adding to this is, uh, you know, a lot of sessions that I get lately are just like DIs, uh, untuned vocals. A lot of people feel that like mixing is now like, they they think that, yeah, it's editing, it's producing. Oh, why didn't you add this special effect? And I'm like, what what do you fucking mean? Like I'm mixing your shit. I'm not producing your stuff. You want a special effect? Put it in. Oh my God. I'll gladly mix it in. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, this is literally, like, we talk about this almost every episode. It's just like... Let's just talk about this for a second, because God fucking damn it. (laughs) Every, like, like I said last week, I just got into a major fight with a client over this, and I lost the client, and I'm fucking happy that I did, because a 60-minute record with 157 tracks of audio that play the entire way through on a mix budget does not equal you have to tune an hour's worth of vocals that are 12 tracks deep right. that's not part of the job description or to retune all your shitty DIs Holy shit or ah oh. right <laughs> yeah right <laughs> yeah it they don't get it and they didn't get it that's where that's why it was infuriating it was infuriating that they sent it to me like that it was infuriating that they thought I was trying to scam them by telling them that's not part of the deal. Dan, you need to invent a fuck off button since you're the electronics wizard <laughs> we can just press. Ejector seat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. That's the big problem is it's flipped to the point where people think you're trying to upcharge them, which right. is it's so sad. Like, uh, I, w- I, you know, I wish that they could see that the race car driver and the mechanical engineer who designed the car is not the same person like do you know what i mean (laughs) right well you know you guys just bring up an interesting fact that the lack of education not only flows through the musicians but it flows through producers and engineers as well these kids are making records that really shouldn't be yeah you're right you're right and it's because the technology has made it so easy for anyone to get into this i mean if you you know anyone who has a macbook 
automatically has a recording studio. It's like built in when you turn it on, there's GarageBand. Like that's just the start of it. And then you find a better right. program online, you install it and you go a little further and You know what it's just though? Crazy. I got to say yeah. and not to I I don't want this to sound like self-referential or patting myself on the back or anything cuz Joey, you've done it too, and Joel, you do it too. But that's why I think that those of us who are offering education to these beginners are doing a noble thing. Now, and I have to say that because some guys have, uh, some guys who are up in the ladder who make real records, peers have expressed a little bit of distaste for trying to help educate this up-and-coming uh, generation. But look, if we don't help them do this right, this is our future. This is the future of being a producer, is editing and mixing will become part of the same job, and you will get paid one price to do two jobs, and that's where it's headed. And it's not going to be getting any better because computers are not going to go away, and GarageBand is not going to go away. MixCraft is not going to go away. Chango Forum is not going to go away. If anything, <laughs> that shit's that shit is just going to get worse. Like people who want to build their own 1176s for fifty dollars, the soldering knife that they get at Radio Shack, like that shit is not going anywhere. This is the reality we all have to deal with. The old days are done, and so unless we educate the upcoming generation, man, this gig is up. Like it is going to be so fucked. That's yeah, why we're exactly. Here, so that's why I think what we're doing. Doing yep. is a very noble thing because somebody needs to tell these kids what the fuck is up because certainly isn't their recording schools. Their recording schools are feeding them stuff from 1972, which, you know, stuff sounded great then. But, uh, you know, they, they need to be getting some sort of information that's relevant to nowadays to explain to them how you do what's modern and what's right and when you do what's modern and what's right and how to edit and how to mix and how they're different and all that. Or else, yeah, you're going to get more and more pissed off producers and mixers who get an unedited, unconsolidated piece of work for a mix budget. You know what's interesting right. about that whole rant, and I fullheartedly agree, is that when I was coming up and I started doing this, you know, I have no formal training in any studio. I mean, I would have died to you know, get into a studio with a real producer and sit in front of a board and actually learn what the fuck was up and do it the right way. Cause I, I would have just, it would have been the kid that would have just eaten that shit up and, you know, gone home and just studied it and then just lived it. But, um, when I was coming up on my own in my own basement and learning this shit, it's like, I wanted to learn that stuff cause I wanted to be good at what I'm doing. And I, I feel like maybe it's the, some laziness kind of plays into that with a lot of people. Because when I got into this, I always wanted to be the best I could be at it, no matter how good I ended up being. I at least wanted to be able to do shit right. Like, how do you fucking tune a vocal correctly? How do you edit a drum correctly? You know, it's grab the internet, start reading, start learning, start experimenting. And more importantly, use your freaking ears and listen and be like, oh, that sounds screwed up here. Let's not crossfade that like that. Let's try this one. Oh, that sounds better. Let me ask you, Dan, if someone does send you a mix and they say oh yeah how much extra like let's say they they understand the fact that the two jobs are different and they ask you how much extra to tune the vocals to what is your response to that my response yeah i'll give them a rate and i, I do have two other engineers at the studio that will do this stuff you know those are the guys that are downloading the sessions making sure everything's in place you know if there is extra stuff that needs to be done i gladly give it to them to do so you're um, at least you know, um, providing I can accommodate the option. It. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Cool. How do you get your assistant to do that for you? Because mine's at the point where he's just like, fuck off. I'm not going to do it. 
Well, I, I mean, you pay him. <laughs> Anyone, everyone well, has the price. You know I do I mean? pay him. I pay him a lot. Wow. If, wow. Well, he, well we got too many other things him. we're working on. He's he's always too busy working on you know like prepping this or that. He doesn't want to do any of those. Yeah. I gotta I gotta yeah. get a, a floor washer and a toilet scrubber and a vocal tuner in here. I think. Homejoy.com. Right. They, they homejoy.com. You can order a maid off of there. They'll come in for twenty two bucks an hour and clean your fucking. Do place. they tune vocals? No. But <laughs> clean the console and tune the no, vocals. No, you can delegate your oh, dudes and not have to clean toilets, but tune vocals instead and have a cleaning lady come in. Homejoy.com. Don't say I didn't tell you. Thank you. <laughs> well, hey, um, I so want to thank awesome. you for being on the show, Dan, um, and oh, spending thank you, some guys. time with us and just kind of chit-chatting about some cool shit. Absolutely. I enjoyed this. This was fun. Hey, do you have time to answer one question from the audience? Of course. Okay. Because I got a question here from Danny W. First of all, you are one of my favorite producer engineers and have influenced much of my work. I have been mixing my own bands for about three years now, and I want to know how to go about getting myself credited properly. Are there any tricks that you would advise? Who do I talk to? Wow. As far as getting credits on, on an album? Yeah, I guess credit credited properly, whatever that means. Well, you know, it's like uh, if you think about it, you could go to allmusic.com, which is kind of like the main source for discography credits. Except they suck at doing it, but go ahead. Yeah, so here, yeah, here's the thing. It's like, well, it's not their fault, first of all, because they're just a database website. You know, They don't actually do anything. It's people submit the information to them through some sort of process. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's distribution or something. I think the question is, how do you make sure that your name yeah. ends up being printed in the CD if you did the work? And because there are oftentimes where it's not accurate. I'm pretty sure happen. that's what he means. Right. Okay. Well, the very simple answer to that is you have a mixer's agreement. You have a contract, which they could or could not follow. And if they don't, then you could have the option to take legal action against them. But I think that having an agreement set forth before you start mixing really details what your demands are. You know, if you don't make any demands, how are they going to know what you want? Yeah, maybe, you know, I guess in the, their eyes... Which is, I mean, this is just so obscure, but maybe they think, oh, maybe he doesn't want his name on it. <laughs> right. <laughs> they don't They don't want to make any assumptions, obviously, because it's, you know, it's business. But I think, you know, it does come down to the contract and knowing that you do have the right to request your name being printed on it or to even, you know, say that we both agree that this is how it's going to go down. And then, of course, you know, they if they want to obey the terms of the agreement than they will. But, you know, record labels aren't always the most professional business people no. in the world. <laughs> I go ahead and I submit nope, the, the specific language. But, uh, you know, one thing that I've noticed is what I feel like not getting credits is sometimes just part of the deal as you're coming up. There's just some situations where it's not going to happen, even if you do a lot of work. I know that there's a lot of stuff out there that I did mixes for that my name's not on. And I could go argue it, but uh, I don't think it would be worth the trouble it would cause. It's not. It's not. Yeah. Yeah, and definitely not. If you look at my credits, it's actually pretty, it's done pretty well. But I think that is attributed to the fact, and I did a lot of work without contracts. 
I think it's attributed to the fact that I was just dealing with people who knew what they were doing. And I think if you're working with the wrong type of A&R guys and the wrong type of managers, they just don't know where to submit the information. Like they don't know that they have to give that to a certain company that ends up spreading it across the universe of, of information. So I don't know what it is, but I know that I've worked with people who do, and that's probably why most of my credits are fairly accurate. Hmm. I don't know if you yep. share that same experience, Dan. Yeah, I mean, there, there's always going to be something that slips through the, the cracks, but uh, just being upfront and having some sort of agreement definitely helps. And, uh, you know, the other thing to think about, too, is that if someone skips your credit, it's not technically the end of the world. People who are interested in who did what will do some research and figure out what happened during those sessions, and uh, they, they find out who, who does what. So if you miss a credit, you know, it's, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. And especially now with the internet, it's kind of easier to uh, keep track of the bands. And I mean, and the explosion of Instagram, just studio photos, just a quick, you know, it takes two seconds and you can figure it out. Like I, I know what the House Aloud looks like. So if I'm on Instagram and I'm looking at bands, I can be like, oh, they're at, they're at House Aloud. I didn't know that. Right. But I could tell right. just from a picture in two seconds. <laughs> yep. You know, at the end of the day, also, there's <laughs> factors outside of your control when it comes to credits. Like if you're working under somebody, maybe, and this has happened to me, if you're working under somebody, maybe they don't want your name in it for whatever reason. Uh, it's happened to interns of mine where, say, I was the engineer, I heard an intern, we were working for a producer on a record many years ago, and... I told the intern that I would get him into the liner notes. I shouldn't have taken that liberty. I thought because it was my own band's record, I could. But the uh, the guy who was quote unquote producing didn't want any of the help on there. And so, you know, at the end of the day, you can be overrided. So best you can do is state your intentions and hope that the other party follows through. And I think, like Dan said, it's not the end of the world. This is something that we all deal with at some point coming up. Sure. Yep. Totally yeah. true. I wish we had more questions because that was actually a pretty good question. Here's a question from Jacob Michael Scott. How the fuck did Dan get that maximum penalty record so punchy? <laughs> that is a good question. I, I do the same shit for, for a lot of my records as far as, as far as the process, uh, Dude, mixing through an SSL, two bus compressors in series uh, on the bus, both smacking pretty hard. That'll that'll do it. Damn. So what b what board is it exactly? Uh, it is uh, uh, an SSL 8000G 48 channels. Damn, I bet that thing was pretty expensive. If you want to borrow that out to me and just you know leave it with me, I'll sure. be happy to take that from you. <laughs> just just <laughs> send it over. I'll pack it up in a suitcase. We'll send it out. But uh, yeah, I mean, those those consoles just have the sound of rock music. You know, a lot of the stuff that you've heard uh, over the years, especially the 80s when they first came out, um, you got used to that kind of sound and, and the, the crunchiness of, of the console and the smack of that bus compressor. You know, that's, that's really the sound of rock. I have a question here from uh, a user. His name is Miami Dolphin, <laughs> which is interesting. He asks, do you consider Riot to be in your top three productions of all time? No, only because I did not, quote unquote, produce that record. You were the mixer, right? I, I engineered it. I mixed it. I'm, I'm the guy behind the sounds. So uh, I don't. Gotcha. But is what about mixing wise? If we're not talking about productions, but we're talking about mixes, um, do you think that would yeah, be in your I, top three? Uh, I feel like the stuff I'm doing, you know, every time you do a record, it gets better and better and better. 
Uh, I was I was pretty young when I did that one. Definitely a lot of things that I would have changed or would have done differently, you know, knowing what I know now. But it's still, you know, I can still sit back and listen to it. And, and sometimes I'll forget, you know, that happened years and years and years ago. And sometimes like, uh, you know, a B-side will come on and I'm thinking, man, this sounds fucking good. Like you, you start to get nervous. Like, you know, there's another new kid on the block and more competition. And you're like, oh, fuck, wait, I did this one. <laughs> awesome. You know, you, what, what are your top three productions of all time? I mean, I, I know I hate that question when I get asked, but just maybe there's something in there. Uh, God, I, it's so funny. Like a lot of these things, uh, you know, they fly by so quick and you forget about them. Shit. I, I don't, I wouldn't even know where to begin. <laughs> I know. I, I hate being asked the I, same question, it's, but that's, that's rough. Just one thing that sticks out in your one production that sticks out in your mind as being just something spe- extra special. I, I really enjoyed, uh, that pierce the veils collide with the sky. I thought that we did a lot of uh, creative things on there, um, a lot of it all being analog and, and effects were, you know, guitar pedals and, and stuff that we were tweaking out. So I, I really enjoyed that one. I think that one sticks out as far as being something super special. Let me ask you something. I'm a guitar player and I like pedals, but, you know, I love plugins too, you know, and I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, I love the ease of effects via plugins, but man, is it? Just me, or is there something that you just cannot recreate with a plug-in that a stomp box could do properly? Yeah, two different animals, I think. Yeah. You know, your, your stomp box is, is, and I rarely record guitars, you know, in the box kind of stuff, but your stomp box is in a different place signal flow-wise when you're, when you're playing it, you know, uh, as opposed to like an in-the-box thing. I feel like it's, you know, a lot of people are doing like post-production things on the guitars and it'll sound different you know if you plug a delay into the input of your guitar it'll sound different than a delay uh on your output bus uh and and you interact with the the units differently as well you know there are a lot of plugins that sound great but you know if you can tweak a knob that's sitting in front of you and more easily manipulate the sound you'll get different sounds than if you're clicking with something with a mouse and turning the knob even though the 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 results could be similar uh, the way that you interact with it is different, and you might find something that you wouldn't in the box. Awesome. Well, I have another question for you. Kyle Hoffer wants to know, what's Dan's history with electronics? Did he start with kits, or was it more of a study of electrical engineering? It started with a little bit of both. It was, well, the first thing that I built was a guitar pedal. Uh, you know, I got interested in a lot of studio stuff, but I uh, just really couldn't afford it. So I went out and bought a breadboard and found a schematic for like a clean boost pedal and built that, didn't work. Uh, and then someone suggested that I read this book called The Art of Electronics. It was by uh, two Harvard professors, uh, you know, a bunch of hippies making, you know, basically relating electronics to the average person. And I read through that and, uh, you know, just took a lot of time joining forums and asking stupid questions about shit and then just doing it blowing stuff up catching things on fire you know just really going for it until you figure out what it is so you did some reading and some studying yep. but it sounds to me like yep. it was like 75 to 80 percent execution and 20 percent reading sure it was jump first and then figure out why you just broke your arm which you know <laughs> what i've been reading a lot about this and a lot of uh a lot of success coaches or people who study success or 
or who study achievement or whatever say that people who achieve the most in life are the type to jump first and then ask questions later, you know, regardless of the risk, you just go for it. You don't sit there and think about it. When you want to do something, you do it. You learn the minimum needed to be able to, you know, get off the ground with it. But rather than sit around and learn everything until you have the perfect knowledge of it, you get going and you learn through trial and error. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, if you just read a book, you, don't, you won't know why you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You just won't know. If you, if you burn yourself or something catches on fire, then you realize, oh shit, like I should have, I should have done this. And now I know I'm not to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. I, I like to tell people the, well, I I've gone with that mentality for most of my, you know, the, the way I came up with self-taught and, and doing the same thing that you just described. But I also tell people to mix music the same way. It's like, make your fucking drum sound and then print the damn thing and move on. Like, don't sit there and fuck around with the drum sounds for two weeks on one song it's retarded you're never going to get better at doing this if you're only working with one song with one drum sound <laughs> right yeah uh, yeah you got to commit commit yeah. and move on yeah just commit and move <laughs> on and then you know three weeks later you're going to hear the mix and you're going to fucking hate it and you're going <laughs> to learn from that scenario right well i remember i was uh i was taking a uh I wouldn't say a seminar. I was taking a class once. Uh, it was like a class last seminar when I was like 17. And the uh, the topic was engineering win-win solutions. So my parents used to send me to this intellectual kind of stuff when I was younger. But it was an institute uh, called the Goldrat Institute. And it, the whole thing behind it was how to engineer a win-win solution for in any situation. And I guess it was an Israeli guy who thought that he had a had the Mideast peace process solved and figured out scientifically how to engineer win-win solutions. Okay, that's long story short. So anyways, I'm there learning this thing and they would set us up in groups and give us this whole system for with with fake problems and how you get from point A to point B with two different groups of people who disagree and blah, blah, blah. And uh, we would have these people who, before ever trying anything, would just start asking questions like, and how do I do this? And how do what's going to happen when he does this? And then what? how do I deal with that? And the, the dude who ran the shit would always say, ask questions of the world through your actions and your experience. And then come to me. And they wouldn't listen to him. They'd keep on asking dumb questions. And it's like, eventually, he yelled at them. It was like, stop fucking asking me questions. Do the work. Ask the world questions through your actions and experience. And then come to me. And that, that stuck with me my whole life. It, you know, you find you get the most feedback from life from actually executing. And obviously, you're going to fuck a few things up. But... You're never going to get the chance to correct them if all you're doing is reading about something. Right. No, that, that makes complete sense. Yeah. Long, long way to get to that point, but still. No, very wise words. And uh, I think that's the other thing is like if you're listening to the show and you're hoping for us to tell you how to EQ your kick drum, it's not exactly uh, going to help you because even if we told you how to do it, you wouldn't be good at EQing kick drums. You'd only be good at EQing one kick drum the way that we just told you how to do it. <laughs> yeah, right. and that's saying yep. that, and that's saying that the kick drum that they're trying to EQ is yeah. the same one that it's, we EQ. So right. it's better to learn. I mean, I feel like we're just trying to give the core values and the the foundation that you need in order to uh, get better at this kind of stuff. Um, 
it has nothing to do with, I mean, the technical skills are kind of assumed. If you have those and you understand what a compressor is, um, that's step one, but that's not everything. Everything is just experimentation, experience, and, you know, like you said, Dan, blowing shit up. Blowing shit up. I mean, the other thing to keep in mind as well is that you really have to know your shit. Like, you really have to know the sonic part, the technical part, because you deal with that very little. You know, that's got to be second nature in the studio. When you're in the studio, you're dealing with attitudes and egos and opinions and a bunch of fucking kids who dropped out of high school who have, you know, problems like that's that's what you're dealing with all the time. And during that whole process, you're actually making the record. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. So the technical stuff definitely just has to be assumed. Absolutely. That that's the ticket for entry. Mm -hmm. Tyler Hulbert says, I just looked up his discography and under Riot, he's credited with explosions. <laughs> I saw that too. Yes, that is. Yeah, so at my old studio was uh, sort of, it was like in the center of an exit ramp for two major highways. And we were right in the middle. No one ever bothered us out there. So one of my hobbies, was, and this was, you know, pre, well, no, it was, one of my hobbies was making pipe bombs and blowing shit up. So when things got a little stale in the studio, I would make a bomb. We'd uh, send them out on, during garbage day, and they'd pick up some shit, a TV, a toilet, whatever it may be, and we'd blow it up. And uh, that's how we'd, we'd pass time. So with Paramore, they went around, they found a bunch of stuff, and we sent an old toilet about 20 feet in the air. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> Is this during a mixing session or something or engineering session? This was uh, during uh, tracking. I think we had just finished a drum track and and everyone was kind of hyped up. That's awesome. You know, we we just (laughs) just made a bomb and just blew up a toilet. I got a new hobby now. Thanks, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) Can I go blow up a bunch of shit next door? Why not? Fuck them. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a strange place over there. We had like an adult gay care center for retarded people <laughs> to one side. The other side was like uh, some vitamin factory that was getting raided by the ATF all the time <laughs> for whatever the fuck they were doing. And then we had the studio in the middle and, uh, you know, it was, it was a crazy combination. So the, the vitamin bombs. factory was feeding the retarded people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. I know what kind of vitamin factory you're talking about. Oh, uh, yeah, it's it pretty pretty nuts. Well, that's awesome. Um, once again, thanks for being on the show and thanks for spending time with us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, it was awesome, Dan. Thank oh, you. Thank you. No, yeah, it's good time. great having you on, man. No, absolutely. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is brought to you by Creative Live, the world's best online classroom for creative professionals with classes on songwriting, engineering, mixing, and mastering. Go to creativelive.com slash audio to start learning now. The Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast is also brought to you by Savior Custom Drums, quality crafted drums, handmade in Denver, Colorado. Go to saviorcustomdrums.com to start building your custom drum collection now. To ask us questions, suggest topics, and interact, visit urmacademy.com and subscribe today. <laughs>